What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Dr. Eric Mackney is here to share some of the updates on biologics and surgical interventions of the elbow. We're going to talk about uh, all the different, well, I don't know, we'll talk about elbow stuff anyways. Um, and so it was really cool because uh, John and Dr. Mackney work closely together, so I've got John Seco here. But he asked to be on here so he could share some wisdom and it wasn't something like I had to go and, and beg him, Hey, can you do this? Right. He was like, Hey, yeah, sure. I'd love to share this wisdom. Cause that's one of the cool things that John said about Dr. Mackney is he is an amazing doctor, knows his stuff, super intelligent, but he's very relatable. So he can talk to the patients. He can communicate with them, with the parents and, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation, making it just a good, relatable, understandable conversation for us and hopefully how we can help our athletes and our patients um, better understand and prepare for any sort of elbow injury that we have. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash biologics. I'll have links to get a hold of Dr. Dr. McNey and anything else we talk about there. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Bio, biologics. So, John, other than the stuff I just said about Dr. Mackney, what else do you have to introduce him with? Yeah, so Dr. Mackney is actually our team physician for Bloomfield Hills High School up in Michigan. Um, and Eric, I'll actually let you kind of go from there. But uh, he works with an array of teams, uh, has a really uh, solid resume when it comes to working with athletes, uh, high school athletes, all the way from youth through the professional ranks. Uh, and like Jeremy said, like I uh, mentioned, Jeremy, he's been an awesome, an amazing addition to our sports medicine team uh, because of his ability to relate with our student athletes and relate to uh, the the types of injuries that he's seen throughout his career. So Dr. Mackney, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your resume and, and who you are? Thanks so much, John. And thanks so much for the kind introductions to both of you guys. Um, you know, I, I will say that being a team doc, the life is life becomes much easier when you have a good training staff and a good head ATC. So I think uh, much kudos go back to you, John, on that. Um, so, you know, my name is Eric Mackney. I'm a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon. I am at the Henry Ford Health System in the Detroit metro area. Um, I take care of uh, a number of different schools, um, most notably at the high school level with uh, Bloomfield Hills High School. And uh, I also take care of Cranbrook. Um, I'm one of the team physicians for Oakland University and also on staff with the Lions, uh, the Detroit Lions, uh, uh, which obviously is an NFL team. Um, I am a consultant as well with the Los Angeles Angels baseball team. Um, I think that the reason this podcast is coming about because, you know, I take care of a variety of injuries, um, you know, in sports medicine, including, you know, the typical shoulder, elbow, hip, and knee sports medicine injuries. But the throwing the elbow, especially with youth baseball players, is a big uh, research focus of mine and a big passion of mine. Um, you know, I was an overhead athlete myself. Uh, I played tennis uh, throughout high school and college. And, you know, these injuries are very similar to the ones that we see in baseball players. And the thing with baseball is that, you know, our youth are getting uh, worse injuries earlier on, all related to overuse, especially with our pitchers. And the injury rates are only going higher and higher no matter what we're doing to stop them. And I think that the more that our uh, frontline staff and our athletic trainers know how to pick up on these injuries and communicate with the coaches, the better we can do uh, in saving the, the, the arms of our kids. Um, the only other background, you know, I'm, I'm new to Michigan relatively. I've been here almost four years. I did uh, all my um, school in Boston at MIT and Harvard and then did residency in New York at Columbia. Um, and then went over to Chicago at Rush for my shoulder and sports medicine fellowship. And over there, we took care of the, the Chicago Bulls and the White Sox. So I've been very fortunate to get, to get a good amount of pro experience, 
but I think that you know, if you ask most of us, the most rewarding part of our job is taking care of our our, um, our youth athletes. So let's just jump right into it. What are the most common injuries that we're seeing in the youth population uh, as a result of the specialization and the overuse injuries? Yeah, so I think, you know, the reason why we're having so many trouble, so many problems in the youth uh, arena is, is really two twofold. One, and there's lots of data to support this, is that we're having our kids throw harder. And all the weighted ball programs um, are a big problem. Um, there's a lot of conflict of interest in the manufacturers of the programs and the companies that are trying to uh, promote velocity. And it seems like kids only care about velocity, and so they're doing these things. So you have like 12-year-old kids who have uh, undeveloped frames, undeveloped skeletal systems that are going and stressing their muscles in ways that don't work. And we'll talk about that later, why that promotes injury. The next problem, as you mentioned, is an overuse problem, and it comes down to the uh, issue of single sport specialization. Um, you know, we, if you look back at athletes in, in prior generations, it was football in the fall, basketball in the winter, winter, baseball in the spring. And you never saw Tommy John surgery, you never saw any injuries, overuse injuries whatsoever, because the body is resting at their off season. So if you're a football player, you're resting, you know, the knees and the legs when you're playing baseball in the, in the spring or what have you. Because kids are doing one sport year round, because they think that's the way to get to college and pro, they're doing showcases, they're doing training, they're, I mean, I thought coming to Michigan that baseball would die down in the winter, and it's fully active in the indoor facilities, fall ball, weekend ball, summer ball, travel ball, AAU, whatever it is on top of your high school ball. So that's why we're seeing these. You know, you can pretty much figure out what's going on with a youth uh, baseball player injury-wise based on their age and what they're complaining about. And I think that if you just listen to the kid, you'll, you'll have a good idea what's going on. And when a kid's injured, they're not always complaining of pain. It might be forearm tightness. It might be clicking. It might be catching. It might be early fatigue. It might be loss of accuracy or loss of drive on the, on the pitch. And I think that's the biggest thing to take, take into account is what are they actually complaining of? And the question I always ask is, does this pain or do these symptoms affect your ability to play? Kids in general don't like to be injured. So if they're coming to you with an injury, they probably have something real there. And uh, we did a study in 2014 that said that you know a very large proportion of kids, upwards of 50%, will play with arm pain even though they've told an adult about it and they feel pressured to play. So as athletic trainers, you guys are going to be the ones that first hear about any sort of discomfort in the arm. And I would not write any of that off, especially in a pitcher or a catcher. Um, and then be mindful of the kids that are that are pitching on some days and then playing the outfield or playing catcher. I think a lot of leagues now don't allow uh, kids to play pitcher and then catcher in, in, in alternate days, but be mindful of that. And just because they're adhering to their pitch counts um, during their high school season doesn't mean they're also viol not violating them when you conclude their include their travel ball. I think that when the kids are young, like middle school, um, if they're complaining of pain on the inside pelvic injuries, um, and if they're complaining about pain in the back, it can be also a stress fracture, especially at what we call the olecranon. Um, and believe it or not, gymnasts are also very prone to these injuries. And I'll show you some slides later. But uh, when, when, when kids are doing gymnastics, they're loading the outside part of the elbow. And you can get cartilage injuries, loose bodies, and all kinds of debris. That's the most important thing, and then you can take it from there. I guess when we look at it, at it athletes throwing harder, we're seeing worse injuries at the younger age. For a while there, it was, for me, it's, you almost want to tell these coaches, you want to tell these parents and the students, just stop, relax, stop playing. 
but I, I, almost negatively, I think we're past that. We, we can't do that anymore because they're not going to heed that advice. So what can we do? Because they're, they're going to continue on playing year round. They're going to play in two different leagues at the same time. Uh, they're going to go off and even though they, they adhere to their pitch count for the game, they're going to go and throw 400 balls the next day. Um, what, what can we do as athletic trainers to, to combat that aside from education, I guess? You know, the, the, the trick I like to use, I mean, it'll be a couple months from now, I imagine, um, where kids will come in with overuse injury, and when I tell them to shut down for four to six weeks, they'll say, I can't, I've got a showcase, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. okay? What I tell them, though, is if you don't shut down now, that's fine. Your shutdown period will last three times as long or four times as long. And if you need Tommy John surgery, that's 18 months, and you'll never get back to where you were before, at least most likely. Uh, the hard part also comes with the parents. Sometimes the parents are the ones that don't want the kid to shut down. And that's where you have to be, especially as the athletic trainer, very keen on that parent-child dynamics. And it's, 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 it's easy for I listen to them go forward, but when the parents are involved, it, it makes it much more of a dynamic um, situation. So sometimes you have to ask the kid alone, hey, listen, are you hurting? And you know, do you, does this really bother having as much fun playing, fun playing uh, baseball? So when you see those indirect signs, that's the hallmark of a good AT. You know, when I hear again from someone like you, John, like, look, something's off with the kid. They're not, they're not into it. I think that maybe the parents pushing a little bit too much. That's when we really got to sit the parents down and say, look, you're doing a disservice to your kid if you're pushing this because you're making whatever injury they have worse, and you're making them uh, not enjoy their, their their sport. And we all see this all time with with burnout. Yeah, that's definitely one of the major things that we see is is the parent involvement. Um, whether it's good or bad, they're they're there, but. If they're pushing our students, that's where it becomes really difficult for us to to really get that message across and to get those students to slow down. So you were talking about the catcher and the pitcher thing like that. So so at Pasadena High School, we may have uh, 12, 13 guys on on the sophomore baseball team, right? So these are the guys who are 14, 15, they're throwing. So... What kind of plan or recommendation do you have? What, what ways can I work with a coach to say, hey, this kid can't go from pitching to shortstop to outfield to catcher when we only have 12 or 13 guys? Dr. McNey? Yeah, so I think you know a lot of the youth leagues, especially for the younger kids, have guidelines on that. And some of them have outlawed the pitcher to catcher specifically. If you look at the guys who get Tommy John surgery, again, at the pro level, Obviously, the pitchers are the ones who have the highest risk, but right is you shouldn't have them doing a lot of catching because you're just overloading the throws. Um, I prefer, again, this is a personal thing, but I, I prefer that if you, if you have a high-level pitcher or a high-frequency uh, pitcher, have them play some positions such as second base, first base um, uh, during their off day so they're not throwing as much. Um, and again, each league does have some of their, at least many leagues do have their own guidelines, um, but that's that's my way of doing it. And again, you got to talk to the coach and say, listen, if you want this kid to be around producing, you got to protect the arm. And I will say that I think, I personally think that coaches have become much more engaged in this problem. I think they're much more receptive to this problem. Um, and I think that, uh, I, what do you guys think in your experience? Have you found coaches to be pretty receptive to these kind of limitations or are there still a lot of, you know, it's my way or the highway or I don't believe in this kind of stuff? I, I honestly think that, especially at our high school, the coaches become more 
receptive to those guidelines. Um, we, we did have a coach that was receptive. However, they began to start manipulating the rules or manipulating the pitch counts. And um, luckily that, that coach is no longer with us because that was one of the things that we noticed was, hey, he's not really actually protecting our kids. Coaches are starting to realize the liability issues that are going to be pressed upon them if they don't follow these rules and guidelines. I think as athletic trainers too, the more educated we are, the more we're able to communicate the the reason why we're doing these things, not just to to override coaches, to override coaches. We're there to to be a specialist and to help them win games and to 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 really help their students rather than holding them back. The more we as athletic trainers are doing that, the more receptive these coaches are and they're accepting us into our teams where it's like, hey, I have a pitching coach, I have a, a batting coach, and now I have someone who's a specialist in sports medicine and athletic training, uh, and they're going to help me keep an eye on those students because a, a, an athlete is never going to tell the coach – yeah, they're never going to tell the coach the truth when it comes to pain, but if they can go through a mediary like an athletic trainer, then – then they're more apt to listen. Say, "Hey, let's let's not throw today. Let's hold you off for another day. Let's let's change your your training regimen. Whatever we need to do, so that they're able to participate longer rather than just burning them out in three four weeks and then sitting for another two months. You know, because we we have seen that in the past. And you you know, interesting. You bring up the liability. So uh, Jimmy Andrews has a baseball course every year. It was in end of January, and I was on a panel with him. And we were talking about, again, liability and also the weighted balls. There's some data now that shows these weighted ball programs are causing injury and also certainly violating pitch counts cause injury. And so I think that as the liability issue gets more crystallized, and certainly if it goes in the favor of more liability for the coaches and, and staff, I think you will see a, a, a even more dramatic shift away from kind of bad behavior, especially if, if you can be on the line if that kid – you know, blows out his arm. Um, and I think the the education piece is everything. Once you sit down with the coach, I don't think coaches are inherently, you know, wanting to 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 wear down their kids at the at the expense of a win. But it, when you actually teach them what's going on and how fragile the bodies are, especially when they're skeletally immature, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, and we all know no two 14-year-olds are the same. Some 14-year-olds can be like they're 19, some can be like they're nine. It's just what it is. Um, but once you educate the coaches, that's where things really come come together. And the other education is that, you know, with kids, and this is why we give seminars to kids and their families, everyone seems to think, you know, it's all about arm speed uh, or velocity, and the only way you get there is by having a stronger uh, arm. And, again, I, I mean, I played tennis growing up, but even if you throw a ball, you know that muscle strength does not equate to velocity. And it's all comes – I mean, throwing is a – as much of a lower extremity activity as an upper extremity activity, starting with the whole kinetic chain from feet to legs to core to spine to shoulder. And the hand is just really the mechanism to get the ball out. Um, you're not generating force in your arm or your forearm or your shoulder as much as you are in your whole kinetic chain. And kids are too focused on this weighted ball program, which um, focuses more on the arm than it does anything else in the, in the kinetic chain. And that's why we're seeing these injuries tick up so much higher. What is your thought on pitch count? I love getting into a pitch count discussion because uh, you hear it. It's if you look at what our standard is in Michigan, it's it can be very difficult to understand. You know, it's a hundred pitches per game, but if you pitch eighty, you can pitch twenty more the next day. It's it's 
you know, luckily you have an MBA and you probably be able to figure that out where I wouldn't be able to. Um, but what, what is your thought overall on pitch count uh, as a protective factor? I think that in, there is there is some vagueness because you have a pitch count, but then what about the warm-up pitches, right? And yeah. how much effort are you doing the warm-up pitches, right? Or practice or whatever it is. Um, I think that that's a discussion that the team has to have in the beginning of the year or the beginning of the season with the staff, the training staff, the AT, the coach, and say, okay, these are the pitch counts. We're going to monitor them. And certainly if any kids are getting – if we – you know, and that's where the AT is so, so crucial. Say, hey, listen, this year we've got three kids with elbow soreness or bicep tendonitis or flexor tendonitis, and it's only one month in the season. Something's wrong. Right, so that's where the monitoring comes in and good record keeping to see how things are going. But I think in general, you know, if you abide by the spirit of the pitch count, I think you're going to be fine. Um, and then being careful, close attention, like we talked about, what happens in the off season or the off day rotation on what position they're playing. And I think that's the, the the biggest thing there. I want to talk about the elbow torque device. You talked a little bit about some research that you've done in the past, uh, but I want to hear some of the things that you did with the elbow torque device when it comes to monitoring uh, the stress that's put through the elbow during that overhead motion? Cool. That's, that's a good question. So there's a device called a modus. Um, it's a sleeve and um, we can pull up a picture. I can see, try to pull up a picture, but if you look up modus, M-O-T-U-S, it's a sleeve with a small sensor that's very small that gets positioned next to the elbow. Um, and specifically on the inside part of the elbow. And it's meant to measure torque at the elbow. And so the thought is, as you throw with that sleeve on, it'll tell you how much torque you have, also how much your arm is rotating, how fast, and what the speed is. Our group has done a lot of studies on that sleeve in the context of injury prevention. And what we found, you know, you guys may know this, right? There's been a lot of debate on are breaking pitches bad for kids or is it better to just throw fastballs or does it matter? So we did studies with youth players and adults and professionals and we had them pitch different pitches that are either fastballs, change-ups, or curveballs, and we detected how much stress was at the elbow. And what we found was the most important predictor of elbow stress is how fast you're thrown. So if your curveball has less speed than your fastball, which is normally what it is, or your change-up has less speed, then there seems to be less torque at the elbow. So this all kind of comes together with that concept of, okay, we're trying to throw hard, hard, hard. That's what's burning out our elbows, and it correlates to the studies that show there's higher there's higher uh, torque. Interestingly enough, we took a bunch of youth throwers and gave them uh, the sleeve and told them to do a simulated game. So pitch six innings, and let's see how you do. What we found was that after every inning, they reported more and more fatigue starting at inning one, which was surprising. I would figure that kids would get through a few innings before they started reporting fatigue, but they start report fatigue literally after inning one. Not only that, we found that the torque started to go up, but then the velocity started to go down. So I just told you that the higher, the, the, the faster you pitch, the more torque you have. But what we, we discovered was that when you are fatigued, the speed goes down, the torque goes up, which means there's something going on in the mechanics. So the arm is getting more exposed to stress Whereas the core, the trunk, the legs, the back, all those things are not producing that stress. It's the all from the arm. So what we know, what we're learning is the harder you throw, the more stress on the elbow, independent of pitch type. doesn't matter if you're throwing a curveball, fastball, slider, whatever it is. The harder you throw, the more stress you have. And when you get fatigued, you get stressed without that velocity. And that's where these overuse injuries, I think, are happening. 
So how can we battle that fatigue? So I think that every kid, look, I'm not telling you to have 12 year olds, you know, hitting the gym racks and doing squats and curls and stuff. But, and you know this too, if you take your average high school football player, even a starter, and tell them to do a single leg squat or wall slots or, or planks, their cores are incredibly weak. Mm -hmm. And I think kids don't understand that if they want to get faster pitches and more durability and more accuracy, they need to get their core strength better. So body type exercises, planks, you know, uh, squats, those kind of things are actually good for building core strength in kids without, you know, doing too much loading with muscles. Um, good conditioning. You know, we have pitchers that come in that are overweight and they've got labral tears in the shoulder, elbow tendonitis, they've got hip issues and back issues. Their hips are tight. If your hips are tight, there's a lot of research that shows you have more stress at the elbow if you don't have good hip range of motion. Um, we know about GERD, uh, you know, and you guys all probably are good at detecting GERD and, and you know, or glenohumeral internal rotation deficit uh, with the throwers, which is an adaptive problem where they externally rotate a lot so they can get some more uh, whip on their throw. It's unclear if that contributes to injury, but certainly if your range of motion is off and you have bad mechanics and you're asymmetric, then your throwing motion will be off and have more stress on the shoulder and elbow. What we worry about is those kids that come in with the shoulder injuries and then the elbow injuries and the hip injuries on the same throwing arm, their entire kinetic chain is damaged. Mm -hmm. The other thing we didn't talk about was on mechanics. So I know that every team has their own coach, sometimes a pitching specialist, but sometimes the kids don't get enough time with that pitching coach to actually work on the mechanics. So what I do is I've got a couple guys in town that work on only mechanics. So if we have a kid that comes in, they're not doing well, they're having pain, the first thing I do is send them for a throwing specialist to see what where their mechanics are off. You know, I'll rest them and then I'll say, look, once you're done resting, if you're having you know, pain resolved, then go see this, 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 this colleague of mine and they're going to work on uh, your pitching mechanics. And not infrequently, I'll have the kids come back and say, you know what, my pain's gone and I'm pitching faster because I tweaked a few things on my delivery, I worked on my core strength and so forth. So I think these are the tools that we all have. And then and athletic trainers should have some guys that are go-to guys in the area in the community that can work on these things, you know, get good lessons for the kids if it's not their own pitching coach. So let's talk about the mechanics and the impact on anatomy. I know you have a handful of slides that yeah, sure. uh, if anybody's watching, they'll be able to see. Because um, I think it's always important to recognize actually what happens in the anatomy. I know with our interns, I always talk about if you know the, the mechanics, you know the anatomy, you're going to be able to identify the injury fairly easily. So if we get a really good view of actually what's going on in the anatomy, uh, and how the mechanics impact that, I think it helps us understand the injury a lot more as athletic trainers. Yeah, and I think this, you know, it, it again, in medical school, we learn that you can get most of your diagnoses from the history and the physical. Mm -hmm. This kind of comes down to that. Uh, can you see my screen now? I can see it, yes. Good. So what you'll see here, I don't know if you see the mouse as well, there's, there's different parts in the pitching motion. Uh, you know, there's wind-up and early acceleration and, uh, you know, uh, a late cocking of the elbow and follow-through and deceleration. And the whole point is that at different points of this chain, different structures are at risk. So this here is that late cocking, early acceleration phase here. You see how far back the elbow is. This is where the Tommy John ligament, that UCL, and I'll show you some slides here, undergoes the most stress right through here. 
And also the shoulder starts getting stressed right here. That's where the labral tears happen. As you follow through, you can see how the elbow is gonna be extended. That's where you can get some of those stress fractures um, and also rotator cuff injuries. So you can ask the kid, when do you feel the most pain? If they say, right when I'm about to release the ball, that's that late, uh, that, uh, that cocking acceleration phase, you can in your head say, okay, this might be a Tommy John issue or it might be a labral tear issue in the shoulder. If they say it's more in follow through, like at this last slide here, Mm-hmm. You're going to say, okay, that's probably more of a cuff issue. Um, if it's more an extension, it's more of an elbow extension issue that, that can affect the electron. And so just something to keep in mind. And, you know, the heart of it is it's all mechanics. Like you said, it, it, orthopedics is, a, is, a, is applied mechanics. So if you look at the elbow, this is the right elbow here. This is the inside part, the medial side. This is the lateral side. The Tommy John ligament comes right through here, starts at this medial epicondyle, comes right down here. When you throw at the most stress, this medial side opens up, which is why you have that stretching here. The lateral side compresses down. So you get injury to the cartilage structures here. We were talking about that with the gymnasts. They get a lot of impaction here and they get loose bodies and debris here because the cartilage wears off. When this is the back of the elbow, when you when you do your follow through and you extend your elbow, this electron, this, uh, the back of the elbow drives into this electron fossa and then you can get damage here, you can get stress fractures here. So this is an example. So when you're a kid, you have open growth plates. So, I mean, for both of you guys, how often have you heard of a kid, you know, younger, 10, 12 years old, saying, you know, I was throwing out from the outfield and I felt a pop in the elbow on the inside part. And, you know, and when that happens, it can be that the whole, uh, this whole piece of bone with a ligament attached pulls off. That's called an avulsion fracture. And again, this is where the Tommy John ligament is. And when there's a growth plate, this is an area of weakness. So you can have a kid who has open growth plates. When they throw, it can pop off because the ligament's attached to the bone here and the bone pulls off because the ligament's so strong. And the way you fix that is you put a screw through that piece of bone right there and, and, and hold it back together. Um, this is, and I apologize, it's a little bit grainy, but this is the example of those loose bodies on the uh, lateral part of the elbow, the outside part of the elbow. You can get cartilage debris, and these things can literally, it's like a marble in your shoe. Uh, the kid will say, you know, my arm will lock up, it will catch. Uh, this happens a lot in the gymnast, like I said, where you get this debris that breaks off, and you can uh, go in with a scope and, and pull them out. And this is an example of an electron stress fracture. This is where the old growth plate was. And as this, this is the flexed elbow, as this electron piece comes up to here, when the elbow extends, it keeps causing this injury and you can get a stress fracture here. So, you know, a lot of times you do need x-rays. So I think if you're concerned about the kid, it is important to um, to get them in for an evaluation and, and, and seen by the doc uh, just to get x-rays and make sure none of these things have happened. Dealing with somebody with a Tommy John, I noticed the one that um, where we had the avulsion fracture Typically, around what age would you see that in? You see them in the adolescence, and it's variable. Um, you know, I just I just fixed one last week. He was a 14 year old wrestler mm-hmm. uh, with elbow dislocate. But you know, kind of like that early teens when the growth plate is still there and still closing, they can be very young. Um, and you know, on that inside part of the elbow, it, it's it's like this everywhere else in the body and every other joint. You know, the ligament attaches to the bones. At that growth plate, it's weak. So when kids get injured at the growth plates, because there's a, it's just fibrous tissue there. But when you're throwing, there's such a force that it can literally break off. 
Uh, with the wrestler, I fixed. He had a dislocation, but this happens with throwers all the time. Um, it, also, I've taken care of a number of quarterbacks where they throw and the whole thing, you know, pops off. Um, and when we talk about Tommy John surgery, I'll show you the slides here. This is the inside part of the elbow. This is the, and again, it's a little blurry. I apologize, but this is the the ulnar collateral ligament complex. This is the anterior band of the ulnar collateral ligament. They call this ulnar collateral ligament because on the ulnar side, that's the ulna. This is the, the main Tommy John ligament right here. When this wears out, you know, it in older older kids or adults, what happens is over time this ligament just wears out, it becomes attritional and kind of just becomes incompetent. And the way you fix that is by doing what's called an uh, ulnar collateral ligament reconstruction or a Tommy John surgery. You take a ligament from the forearm called the palmaris tendon, you make little drill holes, and you recreate that ligament with a graft, and now it's stable. There's been some new developments in kids, and this is where things are very exciting. In kids, what happens sometimes is the ligament is okay, except it's just pulled off on one part. It used to be that either we did the reconstruction or we did nothing because the open growth plates, you don't want to drill across them. We have a new procedure uh, where it's called the ulnar collateral ligament repair with the internal brace. What happens is, let's say the ligament is just pulled off of this side or here, you can reattach that ligament with a suture anchor and then use this uh, internal brace, it's like a tape, and you basically put it back into the other side. So now you've repaired the ligament as opposed to reconstructing it, and you've given it like a almost like a, a brace or a splint inside the skin to hold it protected. Just to give you a, an idea on time frame, if you get an ulnar collateral ligament reconstruction, which is this procedure here, you're, if you look at the Major League Baseball time to play, they're back pitching in a game at 12 months, but it's really about a year and a half before they're kind of back into where, they're, where they where they want to be. With the repair with the internal brace, you're hoping to get them back pitching four to six months full go. So this is a really exciting surgery that we're doing, and we're seeing our kids get back much sooner um, and safer, and we save the ligament that they have there, uh, which is it's very, very exciting. Now, would you opt for that over the traditional Tommy John surgery? Uh, and and when would you, um, I guess, when would you go towards the traditional versus the internal brace? So you know, and as you know, we just had a picture from the Bloomfield team. You know, we we did this on, and and the the way we uh, approach it is that we tell the kid or the player, look, if the ligament looks okay, if it looks healthy, I'll try to repair it. Um, if it looks damaged or compromised, I'll do the reconstruction. So oftentimes we're ready for both um, at the time of surgery. Um, and on the MRI, usually we have enough information uh, to be able to tell if the ligament looks good or not. Obviously, we're prepared both ways, but the MRI will give us a lot of information. Do you have any pictures of MRIs? Um, I can pull some up if you give me a couple seconds. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things that I think it lacks with athletic trainers, uh, unless they've done their own research or unless they've spent uh, their own time or uh, personal energy into doing more imaging studies and, and trying to learn them. I know a lot of us are really good at reading x-rays. They're pretty easy to read. But when it comes to the more complex ones like MRRs, uh, CT scans, things like that, um, we have a little bit more difficulties. What are some things that a student comes in, hands me the disc, it says, this is my MRI um, that we can look out for as athletic trainers to, to help assist them because there typically is a little bit of time before when they see you, they get their MRI, 
they hand the disc to us and then they see you again. Um, that way we can help uh, just inform them a little bit more as to maybe something that we've seen in the MRI or an image. Yeah, so, I, you know, I would say this, you know, I would, as if my recommendation for athletic trainers is that I wouldn't worry too much about reading the MRIs yourself. And the reason why is because they're not easy to read in terms of, you know, it takes a lot of training to read the read the elbow MRIs, especially the, the UCL. They have to be made in a certain plane. Um, and oftentimes I actually call the radiologist myself, review it with them and read it myself because if, if the images weren't taken in a certain way, if they weren't done appropriately, then they're actually not that diagnostic. Um, so I'm going to try to pull up a couple images here for you, but I'll show you what to, what to look for uh, in the event that you do get a chance to look at them. The other thing is that MRIs help, but also the um, you can get ultrasounds. Here, I'll show you something right here. So this is uh, one picture here. Do you see that, John, right here? Yeah. This is not a great quality MRI. I just found it online. Um, but this is the ligament here. You see it, that medial epicondyle coming down. You see a disruption down here below. Now, this is a little bit thickened. It should be a nice black cord here. Um, but if this was an acute injury, let's say the kid was pitching and it popped off and, and, and it was a single pitch and, and it's a younger player, you can hope that this ligament is still good enough that maybe you can try to repair that back down and uh, use a brace. However, if this tissue quality when you get in the time of surgery is kind of patchy or loose or just low quality, then you're going to do the reconstruction and you'll, you'll still keep the ligament there. You'll kind of incorporate it in. But that's one thing to look out for right through there. Here's another picture here. You can see um, <clears throat> there's, again, a disruption here. That white here, there's some space there uh, where the ligament's supposed to attach. The ligament doesn't look that great overall. You can see, again, that's that ligament there attaching um, from the medial epicondyle down the ulna. The other thing is that, you know, with the MRI, a lot of times we get it with dye. And if they had an MRI without dye, then it may not have all the diagnostic uh, power that it would be if, if it had the dye. Because the dye, what, what happens when you put the dye in the joint, it will leak out where the injury is. And that will tell us uh, how bad the tear is. So let's talk about non-surgical interventions. Yeah, and, 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 and um, given that we want to talk about biologic, this is the time to do it. Mm -hmm. So... I would say this for any player that comes in with uh, a baseball-related injury, the first thing I'm doing is probably shutting them down. And, and I'll shut them down for about four or six weeks. When they're kids and they have the growth plates open, you'll see a widening of the growth plate called Little League Elbow. Um, and um, that can be on the x-ray. Uh, but also symptomatically, if they're pointing to their, you know, their medial epicondyle right there, it's hard to tell I'm wearing a sweater. But if they're pointing to the medial epicondyle, it's a good idea that's probably some sort of um, uh, overuse, especially if they don't didn't have any acute injury. So I'll shut them down for about four to six weeks, and it's a real shutdown. No use of the arm for anything athletic. If they want to run, that's fine. If they want to bat, that's fine. I'm okay with it. Um, but no, you know, certainly lifting weights, no throwing, none of that. Um, by the, and, and if it is a little elbow, almost nine times out of ten, if not more, they're doing great at that point, and they can slowly get back to throwing. Um, what I'll tell everybody is at that point, if they've had that injury, I get them set up with physical therapy to work on the supporting muscles like the flexor tendon, the biceps, the triceps, the, the kinetic chain, and I will get them in for a throwing evaluation to make sure that they're on track with their mechanics. If that doesn't work, and if they're a little bit older and I'm worried about ligament injury, I will get an MRI 
at some point, if you know six weeks go by, they're not getting any better or they're getting worse, I'll often get an MRI at that point, especially if I'm concerned about their physical exam, um, to see what's hurt. Now, as far as other non-operative treatment goes, there's a whole new wave of growing biologic treatment. And I think the biggest one is the is PRP, platelet-rich plasma. Basically, it's like a stem cell light. You uh, draw off about you know a tube of blood, 30 cc's, 30, 30 milliliters. It gets spun down in a special machine, and the uh, platelets, the healing factors, are separated out and injected back in. And we can inject the ligament directly. There are some new uh, research out there that has suggested up to a 67% success rate with partial Tommy John injuries in youth and adolescent pitchers. So I will often send kids for a PRP injection under ultrasound guidance with one of my partners uh, to try to help the ligament heal, especially if it's a partial injury or kind of near that attachment site where I think it might heal, especially more proximally, which is near the medial epicondyle. And that's usually a six-week shutdown at least afterwards and then a gradual return to throwing um, uh, after that. But the PRP injections are getting a lot more in favor and there's more research. The only problem with the PRP is that it's uh, cash only because it's not covered by insurance. Some places can charge $500, some places charge up to $1,000 or $1,500. Um, but I would say that if you're a parent and you're going to get your kid an injection with PRP, you really want to go somewhere where you know it's a baseball specialist um, or at least a baseball you know, a team of docs that take care of baseball players because then they'll know exactly the right protocol and where to do the injection. Jeremy, do you have any questions? You know, um, one of the questions that came in on Facebook and I think it would have fit earlier when we were talking about the arm care stuff was uh, Daniel asked, what is your recommendation for the best uh, arm care program for before and after pitching so that we can hopefully prevent some of these injuries? So I think, you know, I, I think it it's comes down to whatever you would do for your proper maintenance of, uh, you know, uh, of the body before and after. So proper stretching, proper cool down afterwards, icing down afterwards. I think that where we lose track a little bit is on focus on the core. Um, and I think that core strengthening and that maintenance program is so important. And I think that's if we can do a better job of that with our youth pitchers, that's really important. Range of motion and flexibility is super important as well, especially with even the hips and the shoulders. If there's big imbalance in internal rotation or external rotation um, with the shoulders, especially in an abduction position, you know, like when you measure GERD, that is probably sending the kids up for uh, uh, an issue. And it's not just because there's a muscle imbalance or a range of motion balance, but more because they're, they're probably got some optimization left to do in terms of uh, flexibility and, and strengthening. So I think that's important. I think that, um, you know, I have a picture I use in presentations. My old boss sent me, his kid is 10 years old, and four out of five guys on the bench after a baseball game were icing their elbows. So that's a problem, right? So ice as like maybe, you know, just to kind of cool down, but if it's actually you're in a lot of pain afterwards, kids should not be in pain after they throw. They should not be in pain the day after they throw. They should not have that soreness. Um, so I think that that means that you got to kind of rest the kid a little more or figure out what's going on. One of the things recently Dr. Meeks uh, interviewed and talked about PRP and how um, it, it's at this point almost a marketing thing as much as it is science. And so talk, to a, little bit about, talk a little bit about that. As you mentioned, PRP has shown up to 67% success. So talk a little bit about how they can go about finding the correct use and, and things like that. So PRP you know, and stem cells, since they are cash businesses, they are very heavily marketed. 
and you have PRPs, you guys may see this on the news, the vampire facials, where they're doing micro-needling of the skin and injecting PRP in the face, uh, PRP to do hair growth, PRP for all kinds of wacky purposes. Um, and I think there's a real, there should be a lot of concern because of that over-marketing. PRP, uh, there's different ways to make it, uh, to draw it up. There's different formularies, there's different efficacies, um, and there's different uh, administrations. It's it's a very variable and unregulated business, and like I said, it's cash. So it's a blood draw, so it's pretty easy to do, so people are probably happy to uh, charge a thousand and more for that uh, purpose. My practice is to recommend PRP when there's science to support it. Um, there's a few indications. There is good data in the youth throwing population that PRP is helpful. Um, especially for partial thickness tears. And I think that there's a relatively low downside. Um, so I, I, you know, baseball is a very, very nuanced injury sport um, uh, to deal with because of the way the stresses of the arm are. So I think if you have a provider that's comfortable taking care of baseball players with a track record of taking care of baseball players uh, and you feel comfortable that they're, they're giving you good information, then I think it's reasonable to follow um, uh, their suit on this. So as with everything, you take it with a grain of salt. Um, but uh, there is some good data in, in the right uh, situation. All right. So as we're kind of talking about the PRP, are there any other like biologic solutions or even if you're doing the repair, um, do you include that PRP in the repair as well to kind of like double up? Yeah. So there's a lot of biologic options. There's stem cells. There's even amniotic fluid cells. There's all kinds of uh, different um, uh Preparations. I think PRP is the one that we, we hear of more, um, and most of the big leaguers will get PRP injections, uh, less so stem cell. Um, I don't typically add PRP at the time of surgery because there's, there's bleeding anyway in the surgery, and so you'd hope that there's some good healing factors there. And when we drill into the bone, uh, the bone marrow cells come out, and those have some healing potential as well, and those are stem cells as well. So I don't typically add them, but sometimes in surgery you do, um, depending on what you're trying to fix. All right. So in any other injury, um, so I, I know we're being focused on, on elbow, but putting PRP in any other surgery, is it normal practice? Um, it is done uh, often when you're doing cartilage surgery. Um, we have used PRP successfully to treat uh, uh, labral tears and in, in, in throwers. Like if we have a pitcher who's coming on their season, senior season and they want to make sure they can get pitching, we'll try a PRP injection. There's relatively low downside. It just It, it just comes at a cost. But yeah, sometimes we, for tendon repairs, we will do PRP or stem cell on top of it, um, or for uh, fracture healing too, to try to get the bones heal a little better. All right, and going back to Daniel's questions, you mentioned core is critical. Um, so what are some of the things that you feel are, are important in the core strengthening or hip mobility for our athletes? You know, I think anything that would be part of a normal conditioning that's age appropriate uh, is reasonable. I think that, you know, we just have to keep keep on top of things with our parents and coaches that any sort of isolated focus on the arm a little too early is probably going to cause some sort of downside or some sort of injury risk. So I think just the normal, healthy routines for the core strengthening is, is fully appropriate. Um, and when you have kids that are struggling, checking to make sure they're not unusually weak and addressing those, again, in an age-appropriate manner, especially with these kids. One of the things I remember from workshops was the images of uh, the elbow, like if it's 
straightened or I can't remember for sure, but like if it was not at 90 degrees, like the shoulder and the elbow at 90 degrees when they're in the cocking phase, then they're a lot more likely to be injured. Is it? I think there's, I know that the, the Andrews group with Glenn Fleissig um, has led a lot of research on that. Um, I'd, I'd have to get back to see if there's any sort of direct correlation with injury risk with the, with the angles. I don't think there is, but I'd have to check on that. Yeah. I'd- it was kind of a bad question because I didn't have all the details. And, but I remember them showing like like kids will lean to the side to compensate because they don't have that strength of the mobility. And again, just talking about like echoing everything you've been saying, just that the poor mechanics is what usually cause the injuries. And then we're trying to have them throw too hard or, or over the course of a whole you know, year. I've seen the picture of the baseball pitchers with their extreme rotation. I mean, it's a it's an adaptive mechanism that allows you to throw the ball faster um, by getting that extra rotation. So that's why kids who, if you never threw and you're 12 years old and you want to be a pitcher, it's not going to happen uh, because you just don't have that adaptive response with, with the remodeling. So I think a lot of that is is natural. Um, those, those motions, it's a natural adaptation to getting more, um, more velocity and more, um, more motion on the ball, but um, again, keeping it not too asymmetric would be the key. All right, so just yesterday I was walking out by baseball practice, and one of the outfielders was throwing the ball and launching it probably from, you know, the the foul line to center field, but then he's playing catch with a guy who has to about 10 hop it back to him, right? And so situations like that also create problems for us because – you got one guy that can throw it hard, and then the next guy is trying to throw it hard to help him practice, but now he's ended up just chunking it as hard as he can. So what about situations like that? How can we help mitigate injuries? Well, we talk about this at the at the baseball course too. You know, again, if you have a team of 13-year-olds, some 13-year-olds are stronger than I am, and uh, those kids are going to throw really far. And you have a 13-year-olds who are – built like nine-year-olds and unfortunately those are the ones that are going to try to uh, catch up as much as they can and always kind of catch the leader of the pack so that's just again being mindful as an AT or as a coach just to kind of pair the kids up properly and know that the kids that are smaller are going to try to catch up and you just want to make sure it's not done in an unhealthy way. Uh, any other thoughts, concerns you want to get out there at Athletic Trainers? No, I think this is great. I mean, I think that, you know, please feel free to pass on my contact information. I'm happy to answer any questions. But, you know, I think it's good to, to pair up with a doc who, who likes baseball and can learn with you because we're all learning still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of research. And so just staying active in, in, in what's coming down the pike. All right. And so reaching out to you would be ericmcneymd.com. And is that the easiest way to get a hold of you? That's my website. And then, yeah, you guys can uh, – uh, send out my email as well. I'll, I'll send that over to you. Okay. But ericmcneymd.com is my uh, website, yeah. Yeah, so I was I was over there kind of getting ready for the interview, and there's links for his social media info, so like his Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, easy way to connect there as well. So it's ericmakhnimd.com. So Eric with a C, right? E-R-I-C-M-A-K-H-N-I-M-D dot com and you can get a hold of him ask him questions there social media um, and john go ahead john best way to get me is on twitter at john seco so j-o-h-n-c-i-e-c-k-o or email j-c-i-e-c-k-o at bloomfield b-l-o-o-m-f-i-e-l-d dot o-r-g 
And then since Dr. Mackney is a team doctor for John, if you can't get a hold of Mackney, if he's, if he's ignoring you or something like that, then maybe John can get a hold of him for you. Or ask John. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And it is March, which is National Athletic Training Month. And so I want to make sure that we just have an opportunity to, um, again, celebrate what athletic trainers are. Dr. Mackney did that in the beginning, just saying how crucial athletic trainers are to the, to the whole process. Um, and then on Instagram which is a sports medicine broadcast. There are some challenges where I've got prizes that we're giving out. So things that will help improve your practice as an athletic trainer. So some of the complex units that John and I talked about uh, with Brandon will be given out several of those to the people who write poems and, and they, we select and read them. So check out those Instagram challenges. Um, it's just fun, just a way to promote what we're doing. And then again, if you want to get a hold of Dr. Mackney, I'll have links in the show notes. This is sports medicinebroadcast.com slash biologics again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash biologics and then if you want to check out medbridge mark pro or hoist hydration using the smb or myotech using the smb as your promo code will help save you some money on shipping or a discount or something like that so check those out as well so for jeremy john seco dr eric mackney and the sports medicine broadcast that is a wrap thanks thanks so much guys thanks a lot